Before we start, I wanted to give a little warning about this episode. As you'll hear, it is quite an emotional one. There's lots of laughter, but also a few tears. We talk about some of the emotional difficulties of leaving a high control group, and briefly about the suicide attempt Kimberly discusses in her book. It was a beautiful sunny day when we recorded this episode, so we had the windows open and you can hear the birds singing in the background, which I hope you don't find too distracting. Personally, I think it's a lovely backdrop for a conversation that I found very moving. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hi Dad. Hi Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? (laughs) Well, maybe in my head. The thing is though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. (laughs) Well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Welcome to What Should I Think About. My name is Stephen. Uh, So Celine's not with us today. She's not feeling very well. So um, uh, I'm sure everybody will send her good wishes. But uh, I'm very, very happy to be talking to uh, Kimberly L. Miller. Uh, Kimberly, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to see you and great to be here. So uh, the reason I'm talking to you today is because you are an ex-witness, but you've also done a heck of a lot of interesting things. And you've, in particular, I've just finished your book, uh, To Go Beneath the Water. Um, Fantastic book. I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, I won't do a book review in front of you, uh, but (laughs) it's got everything. (laughs) It's got absolutely everything. So I recommend if you're interested, which why wouldn't you be if you're listening to this podcast, but if you're interested in listening to how somebody has coped with that upbringing as a Jehovah's Witness and then leaving and gone on to do other things, then yeah, thoroughly recommend. I don't quite know where to start with it, Kimberly, because um, you cover so much ground in that book. Uh, You've got a lot to say about a lot of things. And they're all very eloquent and very interesting. So um, maybe we could start a little bit where I normally start, which is your upbringing. You know, how come mm-hmm. you, you ended up being a Jehovah's Witness? So we normally sort of cover those three things. You know, how did you end up a Jehovah's Witness or in whatever cult or religion you were? How did you leave? And uh, what what was it like afterwards? So if we start with that first one, you know, what tell us your story. I was born in um, third generation. My nan had a knock on the door um, way back, way back um, in the 50s and and got baptised. My mum too and I was, you know, I was born in. So it was the only world I knew. I was talking about this yesterday um, with a lady where, you know, when you were born into a situation, it's the only, it's the only world you know. Yeah. And you have no idea anything else goes on outside of your four walls whether it's a kingdom hall or, or whatever the construct is of your life that's it yeah 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 so um i think a lot of our listeners will will uh will have been in that same situation mm-hmm. and it 
Um, it, it's so different, isn't it, to the choice that some people make to join a religion or a, or a group. Yes, um, it, it feels like the experiences are so different. They should almost be talked about as completely mm. different phenomena, really. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? What was the, what was it like to be raised as a Jehovah's Witness? For me, it was largely quite an embarrassing experience. It was, um, it was frightening. It was boring. I think a yeah. lot of, I think a lot of XJWs will concur with that. Yeah. I, I think it, it destroys a lot of your natural curiosity. I was such a lively, curious child, and every question that you ask. Unless, you know, if it goes against the narrative, it's just closed down. And, and that yeah. was really difficult for me. It was embarrassing at school, being excluded from certain lessons and out of assembly. And it's hard enough being a child anyway. But when you've got all that going on, it's just layers and layers. And, and it just builds up and creates, not in every case, but in a lot of cases, quite nervous, self-conscious, you know, children. Yeah. And uh, your book, um, in your book, you describe yourself as I think a very uh, outgoing sort of happy vivacious person who is gradually being hemmed in I don't know have I got that right is that how how you feel about your uh, your development as a child again it, it was just a case of all of all natural curiosity just being programmed out of you yeah. All of the things that I used to feel, all the things I wanted to explore, I just wanted to be playing, you know, with, with my little friends and, and skipping. I didn't want to be going to meetings. I didn't want to have to wear this this particular set of clothes. You know, you meet, get your meeting clothes out. Wherever we went, we had to wear these. This I just wanted to be like everybody else. I think that was the big thing. You know, even if we had a picnic um, or went to a restaurant, we had to sit there and say the prayer you know, at the beginning. And it was just, you just sit there thinking, why, why is this happening? You know, it gets to the point where to begin with, you just accept it because it's the norm. You do. And then you see everybody else around you not doing that and think, well, well yeah. how come I'm sitting here dressed in this silly little frock saying prayer, you know, before my Sunday lunch, you know, in, in, yeah. a, in a restaurant, you know, so it's just, it, yeah, that, that was my experience. I just found the thing embarrassing and frightening. You know, we can get into that. We can get into that. You know, well, yeah, I think, I think we should. Yeah. So, so embarrassment's one emotion, um, which, you know, can be quite unpleasant and upsetting. But I think the the frightening nature, the fear, um, is, is perhaps even more damaging. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, how you experienced that? Definitely. It, it's just all fear-based. Um, I was again. I did a human library event yesterday, which we'll probably discuss a little bit I'd later. I'd like to know a bit more about that. Yeah, it, absolutely amazing event. And mm. I spoke to a, a beautiful, beautiful woman who, for years, was part of the Children of God cult. Oh. So we had a very interesting, very lots of similarities. And she talked very much about the fear. And for JW children, you have there's no escaping that fear. You're going to die at Armageddon if you do something, think something. Mm. If you don't, you know, the whole blood guilt thing. As a child, mm. that school is is your territory, your personal territory. For yeah. those, you know, who are not familiar with, with that term, you know, our, the children that we went to school with, were we were supposed to convert, basically, as the adult JWs go around the door knocking. So there was this whole thing of feeling superior in one way, 
because you're raised to believe that you're special because you're one of Jehovah's Witnesses mm-hmm. um, and you're very, very set apart and you're the, you know, you're, you know, it's cho- you're chosen. And, but, but coupled with that are all the rules which exclude you and, and make you very obvious to, to your peers. And then you've also got to go and convert those children who are, who, below, who are supposed to be in Satan's world, but you're trying to bring them to the Kingdom Hall and get mm. give them little leaflets. And But at the same time, you're told they're all going to die and have their eyes pecked out. You know, if you do, mm. so that blood guilt, I remember even at six and seven years old thinking, if I don't convert my school children, Jehovah won't have me because, you know, I haven't saved their lives. That is yeah. abuse. It's a terrible weight to put on, on a child, isn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I've talked about this uh, as well. I think, you know, uh, from a psychologist's p- uh, point of view, we, we have these individual yeah. differences. So it, it means we respond differently to different situations. I think all it needs is for you as a child to just happen to be quite a sensitive, thoughtful child. And, and it's just absolute hell really yeah. you're you've got yourself set up in or they've set you up in this trap because mm. um, as you've described it really Kimberly um you know on the one hand you are being taunted um you, you mentioned some of the names you were called um and uh, I think we all recognize oh, some weirdo of those. and yeah, yeah no TV no Christmas no birthdays exactly. murderer you know the whole blood transfusion thing yeah and a wonderful play on the name Jehovah, you know, it's such a odd sounding name, isn't it? Um, I remember feeling embarrassed just saying I'm one of Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, it, it sounds a bit odd. Um, and so you get all the Jehovah's and the Jovas. And... Jehovah's, and yeah, all of that, all of that, I know. <laughs> so the natural thing, if you are if you have anything that kids will pick at you know the the natural thing to want to do is just be quiet and um yes keep out the way but the other part of your brain is saying as you've said you need to witness to them because you need yeah, to yeah. save their life you know? <laughs> it is it's a torture it's just a torment and then you go home and oh how was school it was lovely did yeah. you manage to do did you manage to witness get a witness in today oh my goodness no i didn't you know i was trying to get my head around maths <laughs> whatever else I was doing I just wanted to be normal though you know just wanted Absolutely. to eat, not be handing out leaflets about Armageddon you know yeah, I mean not oh, surprisingly um, yeah. and uh, and the sort of cuts two ways so one sense is if you don't witness if you don't help somebody to have a bible study and eventually come into the truth as it was called um you you could be blood guilty because you haven't witnessed you haven't um uh, save somebody you know, there's always a scripture that's sort of quoted around that but then the other side of, of blood guilt is if you're naughty so if you're mm. naughty at school then you know if somebody sees your behavior maybe the teacher even observes your behavior and you're a bad witness yeah. you know next time somebody oh, knocks on their yeah. door yeah. can you you know what what are they gonna think you know they're gonna say well i i've got you know a young uh jehovah's witness in my class and uh, he's not very well behaved at all you know um yes all the pressure pressure to be this perfect little human when you want to have a tantrum or 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 do you just cannot the pressure and just no you can't even go home and my mum was such a sweetheart she was my sure thing 
in all the chaos, but she was as trapped in there as we all were, in the end married to an elder. So you can imagine the setup. There was no manoeuvrability. There there was no, there was just nothing, nowhere to go with it, other than do as you're told and be a perfect little witness child. Um, Yeah. Very hard. It is very hard. I mean, I I found, I mean, my parents, I still have a relationship with them now, so I feel very lucky in that respect. Um, And I know that's, that's different to many people. Um, and I don't, I don't feel like it came from them personally. It, it felt like it was what I was hearing at the meetings. Yeah. And I think they probably looked at me as a bit of an extremist, but all I was doing was, was listening to what I was told yeah. at the kingdom yeah. hall or reading the great teacher book or reading the live forever book or whatever it was that we were studying. So it's, it's a, it's a way of, of listening to the instruction you're getting and actually trying to do what you're supposed to do, which is take it on board yeah. and then try to follow it. And I think that's, um, you, you suffer more when you're like that. You know, if you're a sort of kid who just, it all just goes over their head, you know, <laughs> yeah. then I think you can probably get through it all and say, well, I don't really know what all the fuss was about. You know? <laughs> yeah. But we were, you know, some of those people. exactly. And then you got the, 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 the more, sensitive children who I just absorbed it all I would look at those images those terrible images of the flood Mm. and Armageddon and people falling into earth and screaming and uh, you know and I talk about it in the book they taught I'm you know as a creative person as as an artistic person those images tortured me absolutely tortured me no child should have be forced to look at images like that and be told they're the truth and they're going to be part of it if they don't, you know, toe the JW line. Yeah, there's such inappropriate things uh, talked about at meetings. I'm sure it's still the same, Yeah. Um, which is ironic because, you know, you can't watch that television program or that movie because it's got this in it or that in it. And yet at the Kingdom Hall, you know, you'd be hearing about the most horrific things. Child uh, sacrifice. And, yeah, what happened yeah. in the nation of Israel Mother and this person and, got stabbed. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, we, as I said in the book, we, my brother, I used to play child sacrifice. Yes. You drop the bump, 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 you know, and the baby oh, dog. Yeah. And mum would tell say, us about what are you doing? <laughs> oh, just playing child sacrifices, mum, you know, <laughs> because that's all we knew. We didn't even have a TV. <laughs> I mean, she's, this know is until later <laughs> this was so dark Kimberly but it was ironically funny as well so yeah, do you want to yeah. tell us what, what you're talking about here so you um you're, you're listening to all this stuff at the meetings about child sacrifice and uh, uh all of that and um and you, you you decide to sort of reenact this scene with a doll <laughs> yeah, we did we created an altar at the top of the landing and then at the bottom of the stairs there was this big wooden ottoman and, you know, I, I would carry this, my brother would, would, we'd all be in robes, we'd get the towels out of the linen cupboard, you know, and the sheets and dress right. up, that do the whole thing. I was so imaginative. My, my, yeah. And we would get, get the naked tiny tears and we would offer t- tiny tears to Molek. And then we, you know, I don't know what we thought we were doing, but yeah, she got sacrificed a lot. You know, that was Goodness. one of our games. Another, you know, the Solomon, I was chopping the baby yeah. off. You got chopped in half, you know, the whole show. It was dark. <laughs> very dark. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's something. Uh, I don't remember playing that game. Um, but you, 
Bible word Scrabble. Did you play that one? Oh, uh, I think we did. I, we did Relentless. a lot of, of charades, a heck of a lot of charades. Yeah, yeah, Bible charades. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was. Um, I was talking to um, Dr. Um, Heather Ransom uh, in our last interview, which mm-hmm. she talks a lot about this. It's an area of research that she wants to actually start looking at is. Um, is the effect on children of these yeah. sorts of images. And uh, we were talking about the, the paradise book. Um, we used to call it the pink, big pink one. Yes. Um, and that was my f- sort of first exposure as a child, Me I think too. to those sorts of pictures. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, and that the Molek one is in there, which uh, is. reminded me of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it was um, very strange. And obviously the, the sexual um, elements of, of the meetings as well. So, um, you know, you'd hear all sorts of, practices and things that happened yeah bestiality and <laughs> yes. they, not, they there's no filter is there no there's nothing they won't discuss and you've got no. little children mummy what's bestiality yeah. mummy, what's sodomy exactly, you know yeah not right not right no. to exposing children to, to that no absolutely uh, so yeah it's it's a very strange upbringing with with mm. a lot of contradictions um certainly in my experience and i think well definitely you describe it so well um and and at the same time i found your book um very it took me right back to my childhood not mm-hmm. just around the witnesses but also around some of the other stuff i suppose cultural references you know i think we're similar age and so i remember even some of the tv shows you were watching so that the one yeah. Was it Kezi? Was it uh, Kizzy. The, the little Kizzy. Gypsy girl? Yeah, about the little girl. You yeah. just that I'd forgotten I even knew that, and you, yeah. when you said that, it brought a little tear to my eye because I remember watching that as a kid and loving that show. Yeah, me too. Um, and it was about a little girl who was a, um, I guess we'd call her a gypsy. She lived on a gypsy caravan site, and uh, but she had to go to school, and it was all mm. about that. I guess we identified with her. Why did we identify with her? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly the same. I, you, you know, you feel that di- being different, just being yeah. different and just desperately not understanding to a certain extent why you're different, but just knowing you're not like everybody else. Yeah, yeah. That, that little program. Amazing. It's all on YouTube, you know. Oh, wow. They're all I, on YouTube. I found yeah. them a while back. <laughs> I definitely yeah. need to, to go and check that out again. You mentioned about your um, your mother remarrying, so uh, you, you you remember your stepdad. In the book, you just call him the postman, uh, <laughs> which yeah. that's kind of all we need to know uh, about him. Know about well, my feelings about there's him. Nothing, there's nothing wrong with being a postman, obviously. No, of um, course not. <laughs> but you don't really care anything about his inner world, although you do you do um, kind of hint a little bit, I think, at, at his um yeah i suppose the lack of anything true in his in yeah. his inner world and what that leads him to do um i guess again that experience was something i i definitely didn't experience mm-hmm. um but he seemed such a cold um yeah. uninterested father figure um that must have been quite difficult for you 
very difficult. I, don't, I was thinking about it this morning. Um, I may be wrong, but I don't ever, ever remember him hugging me or telling me. But I didn't uh, want him to anyway. I thought he was revolting. Um, yeah. But never, you know, there was no there was no support there. There was no, you know, well done for doing that. It was all just, you, you're not, you, you, if you're not going to be a pioneer, you're not going to be anything. There yeah. was that. And yet he was also such a conflicted person because he had been unable to go to university and do the things that he, he was a clever guy. He was a smart guy and went on to do a degree and become a, a university lecturer, which I'm really pleased about. But it doesn't change the fact he was an absolute, he was hideous to us. He yeah. treated us all abominably. He was vile to my mother. So there was that too. So my my whole experience of men, my my real father and then my stepfather and then the elders with their controlling, my view of men at that point, as a, even as a small child, men are just mean. That was the bottom yeah. line for me. Men are mean. Yeah. To, yeah. To, yeah. So there, there was that too. So no, I'm not very complimentary about him. However, he did introduce me to theatre and, and other things that I've never forgotten, you know? Yeah. Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I think you use that experience as well and, and your insights into him to form a bit of a philosophy that we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> later, I think, which is really, I think, quite important because uh, that's that's the way that you finish your book. So uh, it'd be nice to, to talk a little about a bit about that as well um okay so um in your your book you uh you are going from various different times in your life uh it's almost like you know a, the modern way of writing a novel is to mm. just um, keep flicking between different characters and, and and sort of gradually come together and that's how i felt this book was written it's almost like these are different characters that you're you keep coming back to and learning a bit yeah. more about, and then yeah. you, you go to another time in your life and you you learn a bit more about them, about those people. And I just felt that was really interesting the way that you structured that book. I would have been very boring and and started it from the start and <laughs> just the gone through, yeah. Which I know that's why I do the <laughs> podcast is it's easy for me my my haddled brain to. Uh, to think about it in those terms but you don't do that you don't make it easy on yourself or the reader you know we have to keep um, paying attention because you know one minute you're a child the next minute you're 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 in your second relationship and then you know you're back to to being a, yeah. um, a teenager again and I think that's really interesting why did you decide to write it that way Kimberly because I think it's a really interesting choice because it was a piece that I wrote the book 20 years ago, 21 years ago when I first left, I started to write the book yeah. um, on a very, very old Toshiba laptop and just wrote <laughs> wrote it, 90,000 words, pure rant, unpublishable, <laughs> slam the thing shut, don't even want to look at that ever again. But then yeah. I started my degree, an English literature and creative writing degree a few years, a couple of years ago, and it was a piece that I wrote for my creative writing um assignment and and it was a life writing piece and I thought well I'm gonna I'm going to write about that but all of the books that I I read prolifically all yeah. of the books that I enjoy reading don't follow a straight narrative they tend to sort of duck about a bit and um yeah that's what I like reading so I guess that was reflected in how I wrote plus unless you are a completely linear thinker our thoughts and our conversations do jump about between time yeah. frames, don't they? And subjects they and they dip in and they falter and they go back. And I just thought, I'm going to write this almost not as a stream of consciousness, because it's quite, you know, it's quite tightly constructed as well. 
Um, but certainly just to keep the reader guessing as to where I'm going to go next in, in the narrative, yeah. you know, and that's what it does. It is, it's, yeah. you know, it's flashbacks and fast forwards and, and all sorts. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But it's really interesting because it, um, I mean, a big, uh, I, I'm doing it myself now, obviously I'm, I'm flitting from one subject to another, but, oh, uh, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but obviously the storytelling narrative, it's something that I'm particularly interested in um, from a psychology perspective as well, is the way that we make sense of our lives mm. through storytelling. Yes. And um, I think that's a big uh, theme actually in this book. And obviously what you're doing in that structure is you're, um, you're helping us to understand your story through all these different experiences and different times and you're threading that all the way through i think that's really mm. really interesting um so I'd, I'd like to talk to you a bit about that in a moment like let's just um let's just come come back to your 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 story in in uh in thinking about as you get a bit older i think so so you're you're now thinking about your teenage years and uh, i suppose into your early 20s this is the point at which um jehovah's witnesses jehovah's witness children either um leave or i mean there's there's a number of different routes i guess there's the rebellious teenager who goes off and does what they want without thinking there's the person who struggles with these things but carries on um what what happened during those years for you? It it became for me. I loved learning, loved learning. Desperately wanted to to be a journalist, and right. you know you sit in front of the careers advisor, and, but then you've got this whole other thing going on. You sit in front of the careers advisor, and they tell you you're going you're so good at you know this is really yeah. strong subject for you English etc do this this is where this is where you need to point your life and then you go to a read your latest watchtower article on sunday morning and it tells you pioneering is the only thing you should Don't do Pioneer, you know get a sticky, yeah. well, sorry little part-time job in a grotty little cafe and go and yeah. spend the rest of the time knocking on doors so there's yeah. this real oh gosh you know what do i do so i did what i thought was the right thing which was i pioneered yeah. and then yeah. i i met this brother and Spoke nice little faith, you know, strong brother in the truth. Nice yep. brother, you know, Charles, <laughs> nice brother. Um, so I just, I tried to be, I tried so hard to be this good little JW girl. And then I married mm. Charles um, and I tried so hard, but I was just, I was just unhappy. So that, I think that was the first phase. I got married at 19, fully virgin bride, you know, the whole yep. thing. Mm. So just couldn't get my head round married life at all. I was pretty rubbish at it, to be honest. I just wanted, I was 19, wanted to travel the world, yeah. or, you know, wanted, and yet there was the part of me, I want to please Jehovah, I want to please mum. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's what happened. So I guess the first phase of waking up, if you want to call it that, was absolutely around that time when I was trying yeah. to be a good JW wife and just thinking, I just want to get out of here. I can't do this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so why is it for, I mean, obviously I know the answer to this, but um, I think I do, um, but why is it that so many Jehovah's Witnesses get married so young, uh, and I think particularly for women, why, why is why is that such a uh, such a common thing? I think I think Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, obviously I don't have the, the data to be able to Ooh. back this up, but I think anecdotally Jehovah's Witnesses do seem to get married quite young. Why, why is that? 
sex. Yeah. Because you you can't you know bless Charles, such a sweet guy. But our sex life was it was just a not and didn't happen. Because had we had the chance to explore that before we got married, we would have realised we're probably pretty incompatible in that department. Um, but because you cannot, and then you have to bring Jehovah in as the third thread, you know, into yes. into your marriage bed. Three chords. Three yes. chord, you know, thing. And, you know, Jehovah's watching over you as you're trying to, you know, get involved in this kind of sex thing. Oh, and no. it is about sex. And I know, you know, friends of mine yeah. were incredibly lucky. And they did marry very young, and they and they did they worked it out. But we just couldn't. I was I was quite a mess by that point in my head. And um, yeah, the bottom line is is sex because you cannot go out and just explore your sexuality. Right. So you get married. That when is the only option, it? isn't it? The so only you, option. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you you end up, and and I think for. Um... So I think that's that's a really unsaid thing. It's it's unsaid too often in a way that that is a big motivator for young Jehovah's Witnesses to get married. It's because they are desperate. They're desperate, yeah. Um, to have that part because you of can't masturbate, can you? So you can't no, do that. You can't, you're you're going to die that. if you do that. So yeah, get married. Yeah. There is no outlet for uh, your sexual identity. Mm. I mean, not even touching upon um, the LGBT. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, situation if if you know if you find yourself attracted to a member of the same sex or anything like that i mean that's that mm. is even more problematic but even even for the rest of the uh, the young people there is absolutely no outlet unless you get married yeah. um, i think for women as well there's a i mean what else is there nothing what what men have a bit of a greasy pole that they can yeah. think about climbing up, but what is there for women? Window cleaning, the window cleaning <laughs> career, the greasy pole of climbing a greasy ladder to the top <laughs> floor. Sorry, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right. At least the men have half a chance to do something for themselves. We're not even, you know, JW no. women are not really even supposed to work. No, your work is your home and taking care of the children and supporting your the spirituality and the and the needs of your husband you know I yeah would... and uh, you know so uh, doing parts of the meeting um becoming a ministerial servant having a responsibility yeah. in the congregation becoming an elder although you don't really know what that means i don't think until you start to look into it further but um <laughs> you know uh, you, you can there is room for men to have some ambition that you mm. you shouldn't call it that but I move think through the, even do. yeah exactly but you you know you have the opportunity to move slightly through the ranks don't you of, exactly but but yeah. for women it's it basically you've got pioneering and then you've got marriage really as your yeah. as your two options so put yeah. that on top of the the unfulfilled normal needs that everybody has in terms of sexuality i think yeah it's no wonder um people get married so young um you you speak so i think you speak very beautifully about the way you feel about charles your your first husband Mm -hmm. and uh the way you felt about that um and i think it's really touching actually the way you the way you describe um and it's just a, a just a really sad situation i i felt when i read that yeah he was a good guy he is a good guy yeah um and I, I always, you know, what I went on to do towards the end of our marriage when I desperately wanted a child at that point, 
um and what I went and did I you know I took his credit card and went and booked that flight to Greece and just behaved like an absolute just went drinking ouzo and riding motorbikes you know no and it, and just living I just wanted to live I did the yeah. boat tours and but my heart broke for, for, for Charles he didn't deserve yeah. that but I was absolutely demented by that point it was my really and truly so I for that I've always felt sad because he didn't deserve that but I was out of control <laughs> well you know it's it's it, yeah it, you're a hu- we're human beings aren't we so we can only yeah we can only behave as humans um so you you, you then um you then get uh you, you meet someone else you have uh you have two children um mm. and you the, the bit that I was sat shouting at the book at this point was um, <laughs> that you then go back, you, oh, you go that. back mm. to the organization. So, oh, so some of the listeners might think, why, why tell us why? <laughs> I know. Why it was, it? Yeah. Because once you have a child, when I came back from Greece and I was hauled before the elders, obviously, mm. and, and, and disfellowshipped because I was so unsorry. I just didn't, give a monkey at that point and they ask because i put that bit in the book don't i do you pray to jehovah by no do you no did you enjoy it yep it was i was out of control so i thoroughly disfellowshipped yeah um and shunned you know the whole show and then i met the girl's father and got pregnant almost immediately um and and we got married and we had some you know had some good times together but when I call her Grace in the book. When Grace was born, there's that horror, isn't there? It doesn't go away, that that guilt and that draw. of It's not just about me now, it's about my child. And then there was all the pressure, you know, the odd, the odd sort of person had started talking to me again and saying, well, you know, you've got a child now, you really ought to consider coming back to Jehovah because yeah. Armageddon's just around the corner, like, you know. so I went back I went back and then had um Annie my my second daughter and stayed for a while but I it broke it that was that was it when once I started to see the children affected and 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 why daddy's going to be killed at Armageddon isn't he because I obviously had married a worldling um and there was a whole thing it was nasty it got nasty because I was married out of the truth, I was married to an unbeliever. Oh, she's looking. Yeah. She's really looking for a, for a for a brother now. You know, so whoever I spoke to, oh, she's lining him up as as her next yeah. husband. Nothing could have been further from the truth. You know, why would I want to do that why? again? Yeah. Why? But it it just built and built and built, and I got more and more depressed. And at that point, I you know, it it wasn't just having a bit of a rebellion. It was a full on. It was a full on breakdown at that point, mm. and I knew I had to get out. The children were, particularly my eldest, she was suffering. Yeah, so I, I got out, but it was not pretty. At all. Yeah, so so you you talk about it in your book. We we don't need to dwell on it, but um, you, you do talk about your uh, your attempt at taking your own life, and yeah. uh, that was obviously at, at a rock bottom point. Um, how did you? how did you cope with that afterwards? I suppose that's perhaps the most useful thing to talk about. How did you manage to, to find your way through all of that afterwards? It, it was, um, 
it was a case of rewinding and untangling everything that had led to that moment, particularly yeah. in the final year leading up yeah. to when I became so depressed. I was on a cocktail of, of Valium and, and goodness knows, which messes with your head anyway. Yeah. I'd got family who were JWs saying to me, because my mum had left by then. Right. I'd okay. got fam- JW family saying to me, you know, it's probably a good idea if you don't take the girls to see your mum now, because if they get, you know, what, how's it going to be for them they, when they realise she's going to die at Armageddon? So I don't think it's a good idea you're close to your family. And, and, and friends, quite literally lifetime friends, abandoning me, leaving messages on my answer machine saying, I need to choose Jehovah now, Kimberly, because your depression yeah. is getting in the way of this. Layers and layers and layers and layers of it. And an elder's wife saying to me, oh, you mustn't come to the Kingdom Hall if you're depressed, you're affecting, you know, if you're suicidal, you really ought to leave because you're affecting the spirit. All of this, all of this built up to the point where I did what I did. So... When I woke up on life support, realised I'd lived, I'd survived a very, very drastic attempt on my on my own life. My first thought was, <laughs> oh, what the hell am I going to do now? You know, and it was just a case of, of untangling it all. So the whole process since 21 years ago, and I'm still choked thinking about it. It yeah. was a, just a case of taking all of not being frightened of how much it hurt to go to each of those individual situations and untangle it all and say, right, now I can deal with that bit. And now I can deal with that bit and just healing, yeah. basically healing it all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, it's all right. I know. <laughs> it was hard. It was hard. Yeah. It's, um, uh, I suppose one of the one of the things. Um, sorry, I've never I've never done that before. On a podcast. It's all right, it's fine. Um, one of the things that um, I'd like to get your opinion on, actually, we're talking to someone fairly recently about um, uh, about their experience. Um, so when I when I left, um, I left for I think for very different reasons. In that I, it was a more intellectual thing it was that i didn't believe yeah. the yes uh the doctrines anymore so i started to have those doubts that were so i'd had them for a long time and i pushed them down and um, but it was all about you know did i believe creation or did i believe evolution oh, did i believe yeah. um doctrinal the, the world? Stuff it's all doctrinal stuff it was yeah. all you know and so for me um that was what i uh, that took me out it wasn't that i I think it was only later that I looked back and I started to get angry about the wasted years and uh, not having an opportunity mm. to go to university and all yes. of that. It was yeah. later, but uh, the first thing was unpicking my beliefs. And so by the time I'd left, I, I absolutely didn't believe it anymore. So I didn't have any fear of Armageddon. Yeah. I didn't have yeah. any worries about um, sinning against the Holy Spirit or because <laughs> that had all gone because I didn't believe it anymore. Wow. I absolutely didn't believe it. Yeah. Um, so I think, and I, I, I'm very, I'm always very careful not to tell people how to leave because it is, it is such a personal thing, it's deeply for everybody. Yeah, and yeah. I'm get, I, I'm, I'm sure we all leave in a very different way, and our, our mental processes are going to be different. But I guess the, the worry is that if you leave without unpicking those doctrines, without mm. unpicking those beliefs, then they, they do remain there, and this is where they physically. 
out mentally in horror is that you you leave but you still believe it's the truth you know and, and oh, i think sometimes that yeah that is so damaging so damaging it is the the beautiful lady i was speaking to yesterday who came out of the children of god she we ended up just holding each other at the end of the conversation because it was so similar in so many ways. And this is one of the main reasons I wrote the book is just to connect. It doesn't matter whether you're a JW or whatever culture or situation you're in where your voice is stripped from you, where you have no choices, no nothing apart from what you're told is the truth. That That's simply not yeah. a good way to live. And she said to me, she broke down at the end of the conversation and she said, I just don't know how to believe in anything without fear anymore. Yeah. And that's when we yeah. just we just put our arms around each other <laughs> and we just we just sat there. And I said, no, it took me a long, long time to pick that apart. Every as you just said, all of those doctrines, you can sit and you can go through 607 and 1914 yeah. and, and you can go to this all of that, you know, the mistranslation of the Holy Scriptures, as I call it. You can pick it all apart intellectually, but it's emotionally you have to do the healing. You have to go to where it hurt you. Um, and that's when yeah. you to, to get better. It, it feels like it's though a uh, parallel process, I guess. Mm, um, yeah. And and all, again, you know, I come back to the individual differences element as well. That's why, you know, people leave differently. Um, so, yeah, I think one way or another, you kind of, it's one or the other that, that starts the process, but you need to deal with the, the one that you haven't dealt with yet. So for me, probably that, that was the emotional stuff that I had to, uh, so initially I, I left in a very kind of neutral way, you know, I just very yes. calculating. Yes. Um, I was right. Okay. How do I do this without getting this fellowship? Right. I need to do this. this, and, this. <laughs> Good for you. Um, and that's what I did. So I just yeah. drifted. And when people said, why don't you come anymore, Steve? And I said, well, you know, I'm just, you know, I just want to uh, do some studying. And uh, mm. I never, I never got myself into any difficult situations. And I, um, you know, so I managed to, to leave without any, uh you know any sort of dr drama um but later on i remember going through a period of incredible anger um, and every now and again it would um mm -hmm. it would explode in an argument with some relatives or something yeah. and you know i don't tell them what i thought about it but, but initially i didn't feel that i didn't actually have any of that stuff so i think you're right i think we need to deal with the emotional stuff i guess my all my feeling is too though that at whatever level you want to attack it um you need to be able to unpick those doctrines you do because if you don't they'll just they'll just keep coming back to you you know yeah yeah they absolutely the next war you. the next earthquake the you're next thinking, whatever yeah. it is yeah you know Everything is a sign, isn't it? Yeah. Because you're always taught, you know, everything is a sign, you know, and, and everything is, is, you know, somebody cuts you up or this happens, oh, Satan's having a go, you know, yes. but if something good happens, oh, Jehovah's bless me. That is yeah. not a healthy way to live. Not it's a not. healthy way to live at all. Living with those those levels of, of, of this clinging, clinging to doctrines that, that have absolutely no evidence that they're true whatsoever. No, it's exactly the same as a highly superstitious person who, mm. you know, sees um, some guiding hand behind every single event that Jehovah's Witnesses would taunt and mock, you know, the idea mm. of that. Um, but it, uh, there's a 
there's a word that's used sometimes in the in the literature. It's a German word called Waltenschauung. Have you come across that? I haven't heard that word. No. So it's it's. I mean, you know what German words are like? They're like really long, but they're basically yeah, a few different words really. But it's like it's worldview essentially. Okay. Um, but but basically, it's this. But it's, I don't know. It feels more weighty somehow in in German. But Weltanschauung. This this worldview. This the fact that everything. Um, you know, is connected to something else. And again, it relates to this sense-making thing that humans are. But we we interpret everything we see in the light of our Weltanschauung, you know, in the... And so, yeah, you see a, yeah. You see a war in the Ukraine and uh, that's, that's obviously part of the signs of the last days. You hear mm-hmm. of an earthquake in somewhere, oh, that's part of the sign of the last days. And um, you, you make a mistake in life and um, it comes back to comes back to bite you which everybody does yeah oh that's part of the the punishment for me doing this thing that i shouldn't yeah. have done you know so everything is seen through that lens that that's this felt and shower i think that's really an interesting way of isn't of thinking it about it yeah absolutely yeah. agree with that and it does it's your entire worldview i don't yeah i don't remember ever not see it took me years to stop seeing things through that and yeah. quite literally having to talk myself out of it. It's yeah. not a sign of the last days, Kimberly. No. It's just a this or that yes. or whatever it is. Yeah. Really, really working hard to deprogram all that, unlearn it all, fill it with something else, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So that, I think that's a really important message. Mm, um, yes. Certainly, you know, uh, I, again, I, I'm very very careful i don't it's not to me to tell anybody else how to leave um but it feels that if you can start to unpick some of that stuff and maybe sometimes there's a fear that if you start looking at it too closely you you'll see maybe it is the truth you know but it isn't isn't (laughs) let's just get really clear it is not the truth um no it's not because truth can stand up to inter you know it's an old thing but truth stands up to interrogation lies do not how quickly does that house of cards fall down as soon as you start even tiny i was talking to somebody yesterday about the blood they asked me everybody always wants to know why don't jehovah's witnesses have blood transfusions yeah you go back to that scripture in deuteronomy which is another another misinterpretation or mistranslation or whatever you want to call it and they just look at you and say, well, how can 8.5 million people think it's perfectly okay mm. to let their child die yeah. because of because of one scripture that men have said means this? But that's what happens with brainwashing, as we know. By its definition, it switches off its the cognitive, the ability to reason cognitively and, and see that that's a load of rubbish, you know? Yeah, but as you say, it doesn't take a lot to, to no. press it apart. It really doesn't. No, it doesn't. And, um, people are frightened, aren't they? They're frightened right. to go there because it hurts yeah. to to realise you've been lied to. I think there's that as well, isn't there? It is. It is very painful, and and people that you love um, have told you that stuff as well. So it it yeah. affects your relationship with them. Even even if you manage to um, maintain a relationship, you still it still damages it because you it you know you have both at both ends. I think because you can't help but feel some anger about about what you were told you know I, I mean I was very clear I was lied to and then you made me lie to other people you know I yes, told lies on the ministry and you yeah. know and, uh, yeah I think you know you think the things you said about the end of the world and um, yeah just um, just very very 
frustrating. But um, I mean, uh, if at the end of it, I think your your book is is a positive one. Actually, it, of course, it it identifies the some of the the horrors that that these types of religions, because it's definitely not just Jehovah's Witnesses um, no, that these definitely. types of religions um, propagate. Tell us a bit about your you're breaking free of it all let's let's make sure we we have plenty of time to talk about that how did you manage to break free and become the person you are now through a through a process it became a process to the first the first few months and 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 maybe in the first couple of years after leaving I, I was just just a little bit unhinged by it all when you know Dante's Inferno betrayal is the is the ninth level of hell you know, it's it's the worst thing to realise that everything you told was true is not true. Yeah. And the sense of betrayal there and and you as you said, the wasted years, you know, you go through yeah. that whole process yeah. and you have to, you can't eliminate any stage of that process. It's like grieving. You have to be angry, you have to be in denial, you have to go through all of the levels, and then you come out the other side and then you realise there's this whole world of possibility of things you can choose to believe in you're not force fed you're not told you're going to die or you're an apostate if you if you read a book about buddhism or so that's what i did i just went out there and read i read the buddhist sutras i read about reincarnation i would talk how do you feel what do you believe what you know i would talk to people and i just i just built again on i just built just this 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 way of and I also saw an incredible woman who I, na- I I talk about in the book, who who taught me just to deal with with that with the dreadful dreadful because it's an imprint. It's an imprint. What happens? That level of indoctrination causes an emotional imprint in in your yeah. cells. And when I realised that I wasn't just being dramatic, it was actual cell damage. You know, the de- body keeps the score was one of the most amazing books I read on the subject. So yeah, I I just then face the front, do the degree I should have done years ago, <laughs> set up my little publishing agency i do yoga i do all of the things that i'm going to get killed for armageddon i meditate <laughs> i talk to all sorts of heinous people about and yeah. about their pagan beliefs <laughs> the human library and i love every second of it <laughs> so that's how you survive you just find the things that make you joyful having your paradise now as they call it is not yes. a sin it is not a sin it's how we're supposed to live we're supposed absolutely. to be happy now, not in some mystical paradise, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you talk about this um, this human library. Um, let's Ooh. let's just uh, talk about that. It's, it's something you mentioned in the book, um, and you've talked to a, a couple of times here. So, what, what is it? Tell us about the human library. Yeah, sure. The human library um, originated in Denmark about twenty years ago. Now operating in over eighty countries, oh, it's wow. basically a platform for open communication on all sorts of subjects that that are prone to to misinterpretation or prejudice or or even hatred 
And the whole setup is based on the fact that the books are the, actually the humans telling their story, bravely telling their story in so many cases. And the readers who come along, um, it's a completely open exchange on subjects that they may never have encountered or even chosen to talk about um, in, in their lives. We have. I got invited to speak as, a, as an ex-Jehovah's Witness. And I've had some incredible conversations, not just about the restraints of a cult, but but about high control groups and situations anyway. Um, We have people publish on, I've got a friend coming with me who is blind. He's going to publish uh, about being blind. We call it publishing because obviously we have human books. We we talk about, we've got rape victims. We've got... um, we talk about abortion, bipolar, polyamorous, whether it's sexual, cultural, experiential, whatever the religious, we've got Muslims, Hindus, Jews. We had a, um, a Holocaust survivor last weekend. Mm-hmm. It's just an incredible platform where you can get together with another human being and say, how was that for you? And there's no judgment. In fact, the whole human library premise is unjudge someone. Just listen, right. unjudge. Yeah, it's beautiful. So that sounds really interesting. So, yeah. um, so it's uh, just to to clarify for my own mind, it's it's uh, when we talk about the human library, essentially, it's a it's a way to talk to each other. So you go into a, a room or, or an area, and the books are actually the people themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you you metaphorically take a book off the shelf by saying, you do. Yeah, "I'd like to talk to you." Yeah, 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 that's exactly yeah. what it okay. is. Yeah, it's really interesting because we do two different types of events. We do open events where people quite literally do that. They yeah. don't know who is behind that that, that board. And oh, you have okay. all of the books published listed on the board. And the oh, public will come up and say, ah, I don't know anything about autism or what is polyamorous or yeah. how is that for some, you know, how is it that somebody can survive? Um, domestic violence or whatever it is so they'll choose that book and then you're introduced to each other and there, there are whole rules you know that you don't scribble on the book or you don't bend the pages down you don't what's do that mean then what's scribbling yes. that mean? so the book doesn't get damaged you know oh, okay. It, it, okay. It's, it's all very but then we do corporate events where and the corporate events are very very different where they are invited they know the basic premise of the human library but they have no idea who their book is they don't yeah. select their book so i sit down at maybe a table of four or five people and say hi my name is Kimberly I publish as an ex-Jehovah's Witness and then yep. there's deep silence <laughs> at that point. and then everybody will then talk about everybody knows somebody who knows somebody indirectly or directly who was a Jehovah's Witness or is mm. either in family or the workplace or I've spoken to teachers CEOs all sorts of people who have encountered Jehovah's Witnesses but never quite sure how to navigate around them and therein they can ask anything they need to ask me about how that is and how best they can do their job in that context so it's brilliant superb yeah brilliant um so we'll put a link on the show notes um to the human library I guess there's a website um there is a website um .org yeah humanlibrary.org yeah yeah, that seems to be not enough of, of what you're describing there, which is, is something you go on to talk about in, in the book um, towards the end, really, is this, I suppose, philosophy of life. And um, um, tell us about that, about what, what conclusions you've come to through this journey around 
truth and identity and stories. I don't know how how I'm asking you to sign that up in a few minutes, but how do you kind of think about all that stuff, Kimberly? I think for me, and it's different for everybody because we each have our unique way of, of viewing the world. But the one thing for me was that it doesn't actually matter what we believe. There is no one truth. There is only your personal truth and and your personal integrity and how you feel and how you see the world. And that's absolutely fine. But that's absolutely no reason to judge another person because they feel differently to you, dress differently, speak differently, believe differently. I guess for me, the beauty of coming out of the Jehovah's Witnesses was there was no longer this need to be either afraid or judgmental of other people's differences. They are beautiful. People are beautiful. Look into their eyes and you'll see it doesn't matter what colour you are or what you wear or how you speak. In looking into somebody's eyes, you'll see, you see there's a whole world going on there that doesn't need judgment or hatred or, or you know, it just just care for people, listen to them. Yeah. That that was the thing that is so stripped away from you as JWs. Absolutely. Um and it I think it doesn't there's no guarantees, Kimberly, that when you leave you learn that lesson. I think no. I think we've all perhaps um had discussions where you get hot under the collar about your particular view and your particular belief. You talk about that word quite a lot. Um, And yeah, I think it's a really good reminder. You know, I mean, at the heart of it, I think science is the best way to understand the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're not careful, that also can become a, um, an entrenched position that means that you're not able to have open discussions about different ways of looking at the world so I think that's that's a really good lesson and I I remain a scientist at heart and I think that that it's that that got me out of the organization in many respects because I was looking for evidence right where's the evidence and that approach um, is what helped me but I think it's also important to develop that humility and and I think you talk about that yeah yeah, you know, we don't know all the answers and uh, actually no one does. That's where we need to start. Whatever your sort of way of thinking about life is, that yeah. actually we need to learn and we need to start from that, which I think yeah. is, is really important. Ever so. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of it. People are still like that mm. lovely woman yesterday. I'm afraid to, but I don't know what to believe without fear. Yeah. There's there's no need to be fearful of of feeling differently or believing something different to the thing you were always told there's such a beautiful freedom to that absolutely and to not knowing so we've talked about this on the podcast quite a lot which is that it's absolutely okay to say do you know what i don't know i don't know the answer to that i'm still thinking about that and that's okay it's absolutely okay. In fact, there's such a freedom to that. It's, yeah. I, yeah. A lot of times I get asked, well, what do you believe in now? And I always say, do you know what? I absolutely don't mind that I don't believe in anything. I absolutely <laughs> do not mind whether there's a God or not, or whether this yeah. is so or not. I don't mind. I yeah. just don't care. And it's not that I don't care. I just don't mind yeah. not knowing, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And that's uh, that's probably a great uh, place to 
to end our discussion on in a way, yeah. unless there's anything that I've forgotten to ask you that you really wanted to to get out there. Is there anything, uh, Kimberly, that I've that I've not asked you about? I think we I think we've covered it. I mean, it, we'll probably both end this and go. Yeah. Oh, I wish I'd asked oh, that. Or wish said I'd that. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, it's just. Just uh, I will always say to people, whatever the constraint is in their life, if it's stifling them, if it's frightening them, you've got to look at that. Please look at that because we're not meant to live in fear. We're not meant to live like that. So just go to where it hurts. Don't be afraid. Dig it out. Get it out and just, you know, find something that makes you joyful. That sounds like great advice. Um, Well, Kimberly, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I mean, I'm already thinking of things I I, I meant to uh, to ask you, but we'll do um, a take uh, two uh, a bit further. We'll down do a take. Well, yeah. that'd be great to have you on again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's been so good to talk to you, and um, everybody should should read your book uh, to go beneath the water. Kale Miller. Um, it's available on, on Amazon. Um, so, yeah, get yourself a copy. Buy it. It's it's a really interesting and heart heartbreaking but heartwarming as well read mm. and I, I i definitely recommend it it's also easy to read in the respect that you know it's it, it connects to things we we understand and we know so um yeah I, I recommend um going out and buying it are you thinking about doing anything else are you thinking about writing another book um it only took you 20 odd years to write that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah from start yeah yeah for the original <laughs> copy put us yeah, 21 yeah. years ago unpublishable yeah. as i said <laughs> No, the the second book is a is a. Oh. I've already started again. It was another assignment that my that my tutor okay. just said to me. You have to write this, um, and that's that's an investigation into the toxicity of relationships that we create because of our beliefs, um, oh, and untangling all that. And it'll be a similar thing. It's again very very grounded in a person in, in a personal experience but bringing in all sorts of science and all sorts of philosophy and all sorts of other bits about our relationships with each other based on what we believe about each other so that will be whenever right. I the chance I get you know <laughs> I get to do that uh, yeah I will do it but okay. I have started I'm about 10,000 words in so <laughs> really looking forward to, to reading that yeah. then thank you very much thank oh, you so thank much you. for giving us your time today Kimberly thanks Stephen take care thank you bye what Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. 